Welcome to New Life. Uh, again, appreciate Doug letting me preach, the backup pastor, uh, giving me a chance to come up here. Always, and, and of course, Doug taking a break, and it's good. Uh, got to take a break, man. You got to take a break. And so I appreciate him uh, letting me come up here. Um, as I said before in the first service, uh, this, this all came about because Doug here had a problem with anger, and so he decided to have a men's Bible study on anger. And I thought to myself, I really don't need that. I don't have a problem with anger. But I will go and help him and support his need of his anger issues. And so I went ahead and went and uh, begrudgingly. And what did I find out? Well, uh, I found out that I had some issues with anger. <laughs> But I, what I want to do, though, first off, is I want to give credit where credit's due. And that is, I'm going to be using a lot of kind of information from these two sources that we used. And we're still actually going through. We've got a couple more weeks? One more week. And one is the anger, the book, The Anger Trap by Dr. Les Carter. He's with the Minrith Meyer Clinic. And um, this is from a, uh, a Christian psychologist. Or, uh, yeah. And so, or no, he's a, he's a psychiatrist. Christian psychiatrist, and so um, it's good, it's deep, but it, it gives a, it opened up our eyes. I'm going to do some quotes from here um, in the sermon. The other one here is called Overcoming Emotions That Destroy. This is Chip Ingram, in Ingram. and um, Chip, we're watching this as a video before we get into the lesson, so we're actually doing both of these, and, but you can get on right now, um, right now media. If you have that or Doug can get, get with Doug, you can get that link. And all this whole video s series is on right now, media. You can watch this. And they're like 20-something, less than 30 minutes, each one. And um, there's like six or so, I think. It's really, really good. So I recommend that. And, and of course, I want to give credit, so I'm going to be using that information. All right. So I want to talk about anger in the Christian. Believe it or not, anger is a, is a big deal. It affects us more than we realize. Um, probably like I, like I thought, you know, myself, I don't have a problem with anger, but um, I do. I think, and I think everybody does because of the biblical warning we have for anger. The Bible gives, you know, warning for anger, and there's a lot of verses about it. And I want to kind of quickly go through these, only comment on a few, and just kind of set us up for what, what we're looking at here. So here in Psalms 37, it says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath, do not fret. It only causes harm. Ecclesiastes 7 says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Proverbs 14 says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Proverbs 15, which is a verse I quote in my heart all the time um, when I have issues at my house, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 14. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. Proverbs 29. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. You ever had that one coworker or one person at the house that just, there's always stress and tension because they're angry? They stir it up. 
Proverbs 25, whoever has rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down. I'm sorry, who, who, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So the idea is that a city broken down, no walls, there's no protection. Anything can get in there. Everything gets in there. Every little thing sets you off. It doesn't matter how small, how big, it just gets you upset because you have no control of your spirit. It says, make no friendship with an angry man in, in uh, Proverbs 22. And with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Anybody had um, lived with someone with anger? My, my father was an angry man. I learned anger from him. And um, so how many of us have, have learned that and, and were around that and told ourselves, man, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to uh, be that kind of person, yet we end up being exactly the same way. We learned it. Paul said in Colossians 3, but now for yourselves, uh, I'm sorry, but now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. All these things, anger and wrath. In Proverbs 22, now I didn't want to, if you notice, to talk about all those men, I didn't want to leave you ladies out. I wanted to include you in the sermon. Proverbs 21 says, Better to dwell in the wilderness than in a, with a contentious and angry woman. <laughs> All right? If mama ain't happy, the neighborhood ain't happy, right? <laughs> that whole block ain't happy if mama ain't happy. All right? So anger is an issue. Anger is a problem. But we kind of misunderstand anger. So what really is anger? What is it? Right? We know it's an emotion. But anger, anger is a secondary emotion. It's not the problem. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's the result of something else. Chip says this, it's the light on the dash that tells us there's a problem under the hood. Okay? It's the light on the dash. When I drove to the church last night to put these fabulous slides on the computer my check engine light came on. And I thought, well, maybe it'll turn off when I, you know, I park the car. When I turn it back on, maybe it'll be off. It was still on when I drove home. So I did what any reasonable person would do. I got out a hammer and I broke the light. Right? Now the light doesn't come on anymore. Is my problem fixed? No. And that's what we do with anger, right? We just break the light. We never fix the problem under the hood. Okay? So anger is a secondary emotion, but it's not the problem. Now, anger can be good or bad. Right? Anger in itself is neutral, you might say. It's how we use it. It is one's reaction to fear, hurt, pain, injustice, being wronged, rejected, Shame, embarrassment. That's what anger is. It's, it's how we react to those situations. Okay? See, anger is a choice to a circumstance. Anger is a choice to a circumstance. In John chapter 13, if um, one time when I preach, I kind of explain how the disciples, how they're, because the way their names are given, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and it goes on. Judas is always the last. So there's 
always this flow. There's always the guys who were kind of more involved with what Jesus did, and, and we just know that. He was, they went with him. Uh, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up on the mount. Peter, James, and John went in the room when he healed the, the, the child. So that's kind of how it goes. It's, it's always groups of four, the first four, then the second four, then the third four. Okay? Now, Jesus always said, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And he always talked about, don't think yourself too high. You should always serve the low. So I imagine, in my mind, because the way the wording is, that when Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13, he started with Judas. He started at the bottom of the list. He washed from the bottom up. Judas and, the, and those guys and, that, and, and the last of the list, and then those four guys in the middle, and then he got to the last four, Peter, James, and John. And then that verse there in verse, um, I believe it's number six or so, it says, then he came to Peter. And Peter, I think, was the last guy looking at what Jesus did. Jesus, uh, Peter said, you will never, never wash my feet. Um, Jesus, I love you more than those guys do. Uh, I think of you more highly than those guys. You are not going to touch my feet. You are Lord. You are Master. You are the Son of God. You're not going to touch my feet, Jesus. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Peter, being embarrassed in front of everybody, he says, Lord, wash my feet and my hands and my head. Wash me all. He humbled himself. You see? But that same person, Simon Peter, later on when he was warming his hands at the fire, when they were, had Jesus in the room, when they took him by night, right? The high priest. And they asked him, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? He said, oh, no, I'm not one of his disciples. And he tried to maybe go over to another fire and warm his hands up. And somebody else said, hey, aren't you one of them, his disciples? And no, I'm not one of those disciples. And then he's moved somewhere else and is washing, I mean, uh, warming his hands up. And, and then someone said, hey, no, we know, we saw you. You're one of them. Matter of fact, your speech, you have that Gal Galilean accent. You are one. We know you are. And Peter, being caught in his lie, embarrassed, got angry. And said, I don't know. And the Bible says he began to curse and he began to swear. I know not the man. And then he heard the cock crow. See, so it's a choice. One time he got embarrassed, he humbled himself. The other time he got embarrassed, he got mad. It's a choice. It's a choice. The thing is, that how are we using that choice? How are we... How are we Using anger. Now, there's three unproductive expressions of anger. And Chip um, it has some great words for these. And I'm going to use his words, but I'm going to read some of the examples in, in the book here. Three unproductive expressions of anger. All right? The first one is the spewer. The spewer. Now, the spewer uh, of anger is usually uh, knows they are a spewer, and everybody around them knows they're a spewer because... Just, it comes out like forks, you know, flaming ninja swords. I don't know. The spewer. Loud and forceful communication allows little room for separate ideas. Being blunt, opinionated. Becoming involved in bickering and snipey communication. Complaining and griping. Using curse words and 
insulting speech, physical expressions of intimidation such as pushing, hitting, throwing things, interrupting others in conversation, refusing to listen, repeating oneself to emphasize a point, clean up your room, clean up your room. Did you clean up your room? Did you clean up your room? Did you clean up your room yet? Insisting on having the last word. That's a spewer. Now, when we talked about this, you know, a lot of people, well, I'm not like that. Well, you know, that's, maybe that's true. Maybe your personality, a little more calm. But it doesn't mean that the anger issue you have is any less worse than that. Matter of fact, it, it's you know, just as bad. Because the second one is called a stuffer. A stuffer. They're the suppression of anger. They stuff it in. Uh, it is said that 95% of depression, that's not clinical depression, but just depression uh, that people have, 95% is a result of stuffing anger and not dealing with it. Anger turn inward. So here's some of the characteristics of a stuffer. Withdrawing from problems, even if it means the problem is unresolved. Being image conscious to the point of having to appear totally together or above the fray. Facebook. Smiles. Right? Making excuses for others. Uh, making excuses for others' inappropriate behavior or taking responsibility for making others feel good even when they are wronging you. Playing the role of, of the people pleaser, trying to keep others happy. Pretending not to have resentment. Acting out the role of an encouraging, of, of encouraging and pleasant person, though you do not really feel that way. Oh, hi, how are you? Oh, great, praise the Lord. Love you. And you don't mean a word. That's a stuffer. <clears throat> the next one's a leaker. Page 27. <laughs> I, did <that> la <laughs> I did that last service too. It's written on my notes. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I did the same thing. It is on page 27. That's what I did. All right, page 27. The stuffer. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, the leaker. Okay, this, this was me. This is when it hit me. I'm like, man. Making lame excuses for the purpose of avoiding activities you do not want to do. Yeah, I'll get to that. I, I, I just, yeah, I'll, I'll get that done. Yeah, you bet. I just got this over here. Saying yes, even though you are unlikely to follow through with a request. Oh, yeah, I'll take out the trash. Sure. Yeah, you got it. Don't worry about it. Complain about people behind their back, but rarely, rarely face to face. Saying whatever the other person wants to hear and then doing whatever you feel like doing. Repeatedly using the phrase, I don't know. What's the matter? I don't know. Are you, are you upset? Right? Acting good in front of authority figures or accountability partner and then acting rebellious when they're out of your presence. Now, when we talked about that in, in our men's group, we kind of figure, figured out that, you know, we kind of really act a spewer, a stuffer, or a leaker. It depends on who we're with or the situation or what's going on. Like I said before, when I'm at my job, 
I'm a stuffer. I got several people that are over me. And, and so I got to watch what I say. And they say something, hey, we need you to go do this. Yes, sir, you bet, boss. And I'm going to go do it. I might not like them, but I ain't about to say nothing to them. But when I get to the house, you know, whose clothes are in the bathroom? Whose clothes are in the bathroom? Whose clothes? Who left their clothes in the bathroom? Oh, they're my clothes. Well, why didn't you pick up my clothes in the bathroom? You knew they were my clothes. They were a different person. It all depends. But still, man, that anger. That anger. But I'm going to tell you what, though. It, uh, Chip said that we Christians, because we know that anger is bad, we tend to stuff it. We tend to be stuffers and leakers more than we are the spewers. So we tend to do that. But that can be a really, really bad thing. In Mark chapter 6, in verse uh, 52 there, <clears throat> after... Okay, let me explain it like this. Jesus tells disciples, you guys are working hard. Uh, we're doing all these things. Let's go away into a deserted area. There's still grass and trees and all that, but there's no people around. Let's come over here. We're going to take a rest. We're going to take a break. All right? Matter of fact, it said in that passage, it said they didn't even have time to even eat. They were so busy. Come on, guys. Let's, let's go over here. We're going to go over here, and we're going to rest, and we're going to take a break. Because you need to. You got to. Well, when they took the boat and got over there, the people outran them, and they met them there. And Jesus was, had compassion on them. So he told them all to sit down in the grass, and they broke up into 50s and 100 and all that, the groups. And that's when Jesus fed the 5,000. Well, 5,000 men is how they numbered. So it's probably about 10,000 women and children altogether. 10,000 people. 10,000 people, 12 men hand-fed. And the way in which it's worded, it sounds like they, had to, they took baskets of bread and then handed that out and then came back and then took the fish. So they had made two trips, 10,000 people handing it out. Here you go, here you go, here you go, like that. Not only that, then they had to go back and gather all that food together. So they spent all day feeding these people. They didn't get to rest. They didn't get to eat. They didn't get to relax. And Jesus put these other people before them. And then what does he do? Come nighttime, about 5 o'clock it was or so, or, yeah, about 5 o'clock, he tells them, hey, uh, go meet me on the other side, go get in that boat, and, and head over there, I'll meet you. I'm going to tell the people uh, and bid them goodbye. And five of those guys are fishermen. They've been fishing on that lake, and there's like, Jesus, there is a storm coming. I mean, that is a tornado. I mean, a hurricane coming on this lake, Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus used the word compel. It says he compelled them. Guys, get in the boat. Trust me, go. So these guys go in the boat. And they row out there, and they're stuck in that storm for hours. Rowing that boat, bailing that water out, trying to keep themselves from sinking. And they got mad. About three in the morning, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Walks in the boat, stops the sea, I mean, stops the, the storm and all that, calmness. And the Bible says there in Mark chapter 652 that they did not believe the miracle of the feeding of the loaves because their heart was hardened. They saw Jesus make something out of nothing, create food and fish out of nothing, and yet their heart, they were mad at him for what he did because they were supposed to go there to rest, and then Jesus didn't let them rest, and he sent them out in the storm, and they got mad. They stuffed it. They stuffed that anger. And they stuffed it so well that later on, after Jesus fed the 4,000 in chapter 8, Jesus still told them, 
that they didn't even believe that miracle because they said, hey, man, we don't got any food. We forgot to bring food. And Jesus said, man, did you forget the miracle of the five and the miracle of the 4,000? He said, is your heart still hardened in chapter 8, verse 17? They still had stuffed that anger, and it still had affected them. So just because you're not a spewer, don't think that the anger that you're stuffing is you're any better. It's hurting you just the same. Now, you know what? There is some benefits to anger. I mean, there, there is the reason why God gave us that emotion. The reason is, uh, I mean, the idea is, are, are we using it to its intention? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Paul said, be angry and do not sin. So it says you can be angry. There's time to be angry. You just don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Well, see that connection between not dealing with your anger and allowing Satan to get a foothold in your life? In Mark chapter 3, it says there, And when he, Jesus, had looked around at them, right, at the Pharisees, at the religious leaders, and being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, here's this man who has a withered hand, and they, he asked them, is it, is it right to heal on the Sabbath day? And they wouldn't answer. And Jesus got mad because he knew these same people, if they had a donkey or their cow fall in a ditch on the Sabbath day, they would take the effort and the time and the energy to pull that animal out. But yet they didn't think that this man had, that it was wrong to heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus got mad at that hypocrisy and that injustice, and he got angry. And he told the man, of course, stretch out your hand, and he healed him. So see, there is a time to be angry. Unless in his book, he says anger is to propel you to stand for truth and to take a proactive approach to conflict and resolution. So there is a place for it. The problem is, are, you, are we using it as God intended? So here are, some, here are some examples he gives for, for good anger, for what anger is good for. For standing firmly for the right beliefs. Expressing caring concern about the poor choices made by others. Establishing self-respect. Addressing problems related to irresponsibility or misguided priorities. Demonstrating confidence and inviting others to consider your perspective. Right? It's just all in how you say it. All in the attitude and the tone. Now, God gives us a very clear example or, or, or guideline for managing our anger. So, here in James, there's the Lord's answer to managing your anger. Okay? It's pretty simple, believe it or not. In James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, James says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive the meekness of meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. These three things are really the simple things that God knows and is intended for us to manage our anger and make it in a productive way. Okay? The first, you notice he said, was swift to hear. Swift to hear. Now, there is the context kind of idea of what he's, what he's saying, and there is the kind of practical idea of what he's saying. In, in James chapter 1, verse 22, so just a few verses out of what we just read, James says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, doers of the word, not hearers 
only of the word. So the idea of swift to hear also, you know, has in the context of hearing the word of God. Be swift to hear the word of God, to hear what God tells you, how God help, tells you to manage your anger, how the, the, the scripture that God gives you that you can pull up later. Okay? Whenever you need it, whenever you get mad, when you're about to spew or you're about to just pout and go and, and, and let that anger fester in you, right? And then let that, that, that scripture come to you. Man, you can't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Man, hey, a soft answer turns away this argument. If you just answer softly, you could, you could just stop this whole thing. You see? So that's the idea there. Man, swift to hear, swift to take in the word of God. You know, the Bible says about hiding the word in your heart. You know, and the reason you do that is so that you can pull it out when you need it. But if you don't hide it in there, you've got nothing to pull out when you need it. You see? Swift to hear. That's the kind of in the context. Now, the practical idea here is the word hear, swift to hear, is the, is the word implying to perceive by the ear what is announced in one's presence. To kind of comprehend what is being said. So, in, in, in dealing with anger... Swift to hear means, you know what, you just stop, you, you listen. You look, you address the situation, kind of take it all in. Uh, why are they mad right now? Why, why is this going on? Or why am I mad? Or I mean, why are they yelling at me? Or, you know, uh, just kind of just first take it all in. Realize what is going on. Okay? Swift to hear. Swift to hear. Second is slow to speak. That's funny because Chip said it doesn't mean speak slowly. You know, you are an idiot. <laughs> you don't do it like that. Okay, it's still anger coming out. All right, that's not what it means. Slow to speak. All right? So now that you've taken in, before you say something stupid, process it. Pray about it. Proverbs 29 says, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. A fool says everything in their heart. Just because you feel it, just because you think it, doesn't mean you ought to say it. Slow to speak. And then he says, slow to anger. So swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, there's a term that's used, err on the caution, or err on the side of caution, right? Should err on the side of caution. Now, the Christian kind of term for that or phrase for that is err on the side of grace. Err on the side of grace. If you need to get mad about something, then fine. You, it'll be a chance to get mad and, and go, go that route, but err on the side of grace. Be slow to anger. says there in Proverbs 19, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Discretion means good sense. People with good sense are slow to anger. Psalm 103, there it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Man, God is slow to anger. Don't, you, you know, don't we enjoy God being slow to anger with us? Well, well we, need, we need to practice that for the other, other's benefit. God's slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us. He will nor will keep his anger forever. Look at this next verse down here in Ephesians chapter 4. Let all bitter, bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, and all malice. 
Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God forgave you. See, put away that wrath, that anger. Look at Galatians chapter 5. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, self-control is, is a God, it is a divine spiritual gift. As a Christian, there is no excuse, and I just wrote these down, and we use it, you know, and it's been said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Irish, that's the way I'm, I'm, I'm the way I am. I'm Italian. I'm just Italian. All right? My wife is distantly related to Al Capone. No joke. And she'll throw that on you, too. That's right. <laughs> right? I'm just redhead. I don't know what that is, but I guess redhead people have t- problems with anger. That's just the way I'm wired. That's the one I couldn't think of. That's just the way I'm wired. I'm just high and strong. That's not an excuse. Because the Holy Spirit can give you self-control. That is beyond, beyond understanding. That's, that's not in your wiring and not in your genetic makeup. God can give you a supernatural self-control. There's no excuse, Christian. Now, I'll be honest with you, Doug. I didn't tell you. I wasn't sure I was going to preach this at the beginning of the week. I'm like, man, do we really need, I mean, I know anger is, like, but I don't know if I really ought to do this. So we're sitting in bed, and my wife's dog, he's a small dog. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's laughing for the people who know this dog. I was told this dog was going to be small. He's a Rottweiler and a, and a lab. He's about this tall, and he's only seven months. He's a little bitty thing. But he's... My wife's baby. And he winds at the door. He wants to come in, lay down and cuddle. It's like having a whole other person in bed with you. And he's whining, he's whining, he's whining at the door at 1, 2 in the morning. Now, she is a sound sleeper. She is asleep. I'm the one hearing the dog at the door. This big monster at the door. So I get up, 2 in the morning, I open the door, and he's such a big lug, sometimes he can't even get on the bed. you got to pick him up because he's, he's just such a big lug. But he barrel, he just climbs in that bed, and he plops down with his rear end on my pillow. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm pushing him out of the way, and he growls at me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, leave me alone, you know, kind of. And my wife, and she, oh, and she got up, and, and she took him out. And this is 2 in the morning. i got to go to work. But you know what? I made a choice. I wasn't going to get angry. I laughed. And I said, you know what? I am not going to get angry. I'm not going to go to bed angry with her tonight. She came in. The first thing she did when she came back, I said, baby, I am not angry. I'm not upset. He is still a pup. I know that. He's seven months, and he doesn't understand. I am not mad at him. He's just a dog. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not mad. And we went to bed, and you know, it took me two more hours to fall back asleep. I'm telling you, I wasn't mad because I made a choice. I made a choice. The situation came before me, and I made a choice. I chose not to get angry. So I'm just, I'm just encouraging Christian. I'm challenging you. 
by the grace and spirit of God, take control of your anger. Use it for what God intended it to do, to, to give you purpose and drive to do what's right, but in the right spirit, right, in the right tone. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Again, Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for the chance to come and preach your word. <clears throat> Lord, help us to, to truly um, get our, our anger issues under control, Lord. We, we cannot be vessels uh, you, fit for you. Anger um, prevents intimacy, whether physical, emotional, intellectual. It stops that. And so we, we need to address that in our lives. Lord, help us to do so. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.